So I have no idea what you know and what you don't know, so I'll just start assuming you don't know anything. All right? I have been living in England for 20 years, and I've been a part of Amravati and Chitters Monastery and part of the Siladara community there that Ajahn Sumedho has created. And in October of 2008, it became clear that I needed to leave. And the reason why I needed to leave was because for me, for the last seven or eight years, it's been increasingly clear that there have been certain things that were really important to talk about and negotiate. And so one of the things in doing that was to isolate or to become clear about what they were and then to see if the sisters to come to some kind of congruence about our response as a group to them and then to see if we could negotiate some change within the monastery itself. And then it became apparent we couldn't negotiate any change within the monastery itself. And so I was going to be part of the Saranaloka project. And then it was important to me to see if we could negotiate some way in which the Saranaloka project could negotiate the ability to navigate these changes. When it became clear that wasn't possible, then my decision was made for me. It was like it was a non-decision. It was obvious it was time for me to go. So these were things that I knew in my own system were really important. They were not things to ignore any longer. You know, I'd spent 20 years in the community, and it was clear to me that ignoring these things now would be actually quite detrimental. So I left, and I came to the United States, which is where I live. I mean, I was born in the States. I was born in California. And my father and my brother live in Colorado Springs, and I've been teaching there for the past 14 years, and so I have friends who've been on my retreats and who have understand this whole process. I've been talking to them for decades now about all of this. They have a sense. So when things were shaping up in the way that they were, they said, come, you know, stay. And so when I made the decision to leave England, I had nothing. There was no organization, there was no invitation, there was no funds, there was no resources. It was just clear, I've got to go. And it doesn't matter what the consequences is, I've got to go. So by the time I actually left England already, we had an organization, there were some funds, I had an invitation, there was a house, there were people who were happy to look after me. So when I went to Colorado, I got there in July. So it's not already that long, you know, it's not a long time. And, you know, um, it's a big transition. I've been part of this community for 20 years. And being a part of a community and then being on your own, it's a big transition. And so, you know, most of the last several months has been just adjusting to the transition of what I've been through and getting a sense of the ramifications of it and looking after my father and after my own health, which has suffered quite a lot in the middle of all of this. And the team is winning, I might say. <laughs> we're, all, we're all doing good. <laughs> so the plan for many, many years has been wanting to come to California because I have always had a feeling that this is where I belong, this is where I'm from, and I've had a feeling that this is the place where the kind of Dhamma that I'm interested in being a part of will be able to flourish. So I've been in Colorado Springs kind of, getting a sense of everything that's been needing to settle in order to use this clarity to again reemerge, and it did, it did reemerge that California is where I wanted to come. But as an alms mendicant who lives on alms food and who doesn't have money and doesn't have a credit card, and you know, it's like I can't just move here, you know. I need actually to have a few things in place in order for me to come. 
So part of the purpose of this visit in this uh, now is to teach and to talk about what I'm doing and what I'm hoping to do and to see what kind of support emerges to help support me moving to California. So Will and Lauren are good friends. And they, last year, said, well, we want you to move here. (laughs) And I thought, well, yeah, that's fair enough. And it's a very beautiful place, you know. But my sense was Santa Barbara might be a little bit small. Because, you know, it's not just me that I'm interested in creating a space for. I'm interested in a community, yeah. And to support one nun takes a certain amount of... I mean, you can't imagine. It's like having a newborn baby. It's like you can't imagine. (laughs) You know, the kind of effort that takes, you know, one person, you know. But a community is more complicated than that. And I wasn't sure that Santa Barbara would be have enough... Uh, cohesiveness as a Buddhist community to support a monastic training monastery. But I thought, well, I'll come and we'll see and we'll talk about it and see how it goes. And in my sense, this is that that probably is correct. You know, it's probably not quite big enough in terms of the cohesiveness of the, of the community. But, you know, I travel and I teach and so wherever it is that I actually land, it doesn't mean that that's the only place where I go, you know. So wherever I am, if people feel they would like me to come back and feel resonant with what I have to offer, then you're welcome to be connected to the project that I'm involved in and also, you know, invite me to return here. So uh, tomorrow, I think it's some strange early hour in the morning, I go to the Amtrak train and then get to a plane to go up to the Bay Area. So I'll be teaching in the Bay Area and then I'll be going to Sacramento, be going to Santa Cruz and then Sacramento. And so my my hope is is that through this visit people will have a little bit more sense of who I am and what I'm doing and be interested and willing to say, yes, we would like you to come back. And we understand that as a nun you need food, you need help getting to teaching engagements. You need support with your organization in terms of organizational skills, and um, and we would like to make that happen. In addition to the kind of practical details of locating to California, which are not insignificant, but certainly not insurmountable, what I'm interested in doing is opening up a process of a collaborative envisioning of a new model. So I come from the Thai Forest tradition and I've spent 20 years in this tradition and I can spend a week, a month, three months, a year talking about the blessings and the value of this tradition. They are extensive. Very, very, very extensive. But I can also see that part of the tradition is solidified around an identity that has within it certain things that don't work like gender bias or power structures that are based on a vertical hierarchy or, you know, things like, well, the monks are the ones who ultimately have all the decision about everything. And so no matter what you negotiate, they can change it in an instant. It's like 15 years of doing that is all right. (laughs) 20 years of doing that is pushing it. The rest of my life, I don't think so. You know, so... There's issues around cultural biases. There's issues around the way authority works. There's issues around the, the empowerment of the lay community. Okay? So in a classic Thai forest monastery, what happens is, is the monastics are the ones who have the spiritual authority, and they're the ones that give the talks and the teachings and the ordinations and the precepts, and they're the ones that hold the retreats. 
and the lay people come and are phenomenally supportive. But what I've seen in England and what I see in the United States with people who've been practicing 20 and 30 years, who are teachers in their own right, who've got a tremendous amount of insight, that this absolute black and white delineation between what the monastics do and what the lay people do needs massaging. It actually needs to be re-looked at. Okay? So I don't have it in my head to think this is the way it's going to be. And in fact, I think that's the right way. Because if I do that, then it puts me in the position of being the one who knows. Okay? So I think what is needed is a collaborative process of, a, of, of both lay and monastics to envision a new model that not only supports the awakening of both the lay people and the monastic community, um, but starts to look at how do we look at issues around power and authority and leadership in the spiritual community and how do we create a spiritual community that, that whose core values is to support awakening for the benefit of all. And so I don't even know how to begin this process of envisioning a new model. But I know that I can't do it by myself. I know that. And I know that it needs to happen. And I also know that fundamental underneath all of this is a sense that one, being able to be a nun is good. The relationship with the lay community is profound and it's absolutely essential. And that living a life dedicated to non-harm, it doesn't make sense to do things that harm. That's what I know. And that is the basis of what it is that I'm wanting to do. So it hasn't taken a lot of shape yet. It's still in the process of forming. And it will be, probably for quite a while. And until it lands and starts taking its new shape, it will take pretty much the shape that I'm used to until it comes into another form. So, you know, I'm here and I'm hoping that people think, well, yeah, this is a good thing and are wanting to support the people, who, what, I, what I haven't yet figured out is how people who are not local to where I land can really plug in. And that also is a kind of creative, um, I'm not sure, organizational task that I haven't figured the answer to yet. I mean, there's a gazillion things that need to happen and a lot of things can happen via the Internet. So, but what I think is needed is to have like a volunteer coordinator or an office manager person that is working with the volunteer coordinator to help get some of this stuff sorted. That's what I need. So, does that answer your question? Good start. Are there any questions? Do you Twitter? No, but I Facebook. Okay. <laughs> Social networking is one of the answers to that. Yeah, so I do. I have a Facebook, and the whole thing is totally amazing. I mean, I find the whole thing amazing. So, um, yeah, but basically what I need is brainstorming to help me figure out some of the pieces of how to put this thing together and how people, because there are people in different parts of the country, different parts of the world who are actually wanting to support, but I haven't figured out how, how they can do that yet, you know. Yes, please. Uh, what place, if any, do 
men have if you were to establish um, the model you're talking about? Would there be available in the Dharmatox meditation course? Anything so initially, because living with monks and nuns is complicated, I see it being a place for nuns. But that's not the final vision. That's the first step. Initially, I don't see this as a gender-specific topic. I see this as actually a liberation topic that's open to everybody. But navigating the territory with monks and nuns living in the same place requires that the nuns have a tremendous amount of ground. Because what happens if they don't is they just go back into the old patterning and conditioning and it's not helpful. So... Aside from the fact that the monastery, the monastics initially will be women, the place will be open to men as much as we have accommodation to support that. So if we're living in one house, it would probably mean that the men would not be welcome to stay overnight until we had a property where we had accommodation where they could stay in a way that was suitable. Yeah, But this is not a gender-specific operation. I, I have never seen this as being only limited to women. Because I've never seen this as being a gender-specific topic. You know, everybody suffers from this stuff. It's just that it seems as if for the monks, it takes them quite a bit longer to work it out that they actually suffer from it too. (laughs) Do you have any intention of ordaining a bukumi? Yes, I do. But I don't want to do that until there's a community who's there who's able to support me living the precepts in a, in a way that's reasonable because it doesn't make sense to get an ordination and not be able to live the life in a way that has some integrity to it. That's one thing. The second thing is the Bikudin ordination for all of the value that it has in terms of creating nuns on an equal legal footing as monks. It's, it's absolutely embedded with cultural biases. And so unless there is a commitment to look at that and dismantle that, then there's no point of diving into more of the same. You know, I've just spent 20 years with that. No, absolutely, in the marrow of my bones, that that stuff is not helpful and it does not conduce to liberation. So I would like a community and I would like to have a situation that is completely clear that that's actually the intention that I'm going and is happy to support it. If those conditions are met, then there I go. So, what does that sound like to you? There's an awful lot of silence on the other side of this room. (laughs) I think it's absolutely exciting to be here witnessing this birth. Thank you for sharing. I feel the same way, and I'm starting to think about Oprah Winfrey. You know, she did a lot for Eckhart Tolle. <laughs> <laughs> and she lives to the world. She's only there a few days a year. She gives us a lot That's great brainstorming, Will. <laughs> 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 yeah, really. I bet she has more than four spare business. <laughs> yes. Uh, Cynthia left, um, mentioned to me it might be helpful for you to talk to our nuns, our Christian nuns here at the um, at Casa de Maria. They're a group of nuns who are essentially excommunicated from the Catholic Church. 
um, and have seen every kind of gender issue you can imagine. And they might have some insight into how to make something happen. You know, I think it's a really skillful thing because, you know, one of the things that I experience is isolation as a nun, you know. And um, it's just hard... It's hard to convey what that is until you actually experience it, you know. And so nuns are nuns. And whether they're Catholic nuns or Buddhist nuns or Hindu nuns, they're nuns. And if they have walked that journey, they would have all kinds of things that they'd be able to share in terms of insight. So I think it's a really wise thing. And I'd like to do it. Oftentimes what happens, you know, like my health hasn't been so great. So I've been, you know, like only... It was only the last week before I was leaving this where I was even the possibility that I was going to be able to survive the trip that I set up because, you know, my health has just been really affected by all of this. So I was cautious about putting too much in, not because it's not worthwhile, but because I just, I have my own capacity and it's been low, you know. But it's a wise and a helpful suggestion and I would like to follow it up. There's also the Vedanta community out beyond Casa de Maria and other nuns and monks that live on this property. And they have a lay community. Sunday mornings they have a lecture. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything more about it. I've just been to some of the lectures. Thank you. I want to acknowledge you too for it's a brave thing you're doing and I think it's it feels really right mm-hmm. to me. I just want to acknowledge that, that um, polarization really needs to be you know, in every path it needs to be smoothed out and it's separation. It's not suffering, it's and, and you got it, you know, within within your own path there you saw it and just like a like a immovable structure that just there's no room for um, discourse and dialogue and, and truthfulness. Mm-hmm. So I just commend you. Thank you. It's a big move. It's very difficult as a lay person to watch this because we're, we're told that one of the first things with stream entry that goes away is attachment to rites and rituals. And that the whole Buddhist monastic community does seems to be this gender bias seems to us to be totally rights and mutual issues. So how can we trust that these people have even followed the path? Um, do you understand what I'm I do. I think there's a lot of coming to terms with the kind of disillusionment that is involved in looking at what's happening, you know? And I think part of that is actually healthy that people can stop putting the monastics on a pedestal and realize that we're very human mm. and that the kind of need to belong sometimes is so phenomenally powerful that it takes precedence over wisdom and discernment and compassion. And it's almost impossible for lay people to imagine that monastics are like that way. Until you are a monastic and you've lived in the community and you see what happens and you see the choices that people make and what appears to be the motivations behind it. And so it's not as if these people don't have profound insight. They do. But these human longings to belong are so phenomenally powerful. Phenomenally powerful that a lot of stuff gets compromised in order to protect that. 
in my own personal situation, I was willing to sacrifice everything because I knew in my bones that if I didn't, I would die. So it's like, you know, there was no choice. So. Is it possible that there are other points of light, like this one, you know, that can come together? That, that you're not the only one, maybe, that is doing this at this point in time in our evolution? There absolutely are other points of light. But you see, what I experienced in the community was is, is that the fear of living with this level of uncertainty was such that their people and sisters were not willing to go. Many of them said to me they, they were awestruck by what I was doing, but they just could not do it themselves. What, for me, is a kind of grief is, is that most of the sisters knew how important this was. Couldn't go there. And couldn't go there. At least yet. At least yet. And you're walking a path that's unknown, so that's right. If you survive it, they might get the fortitude. But what I also have sensed, and I've sensed this all along, is is that you know when there's a place and there's food and there's enough support, it's like it's not as scary, and that will be conditions for people to come. I mean, already there's a woman who's been asking and has been asking for months. She wants to ordain with me. But I haven't been in the position to be able to say, yes, come, because I haven't had a place for her to come to. You know, There have been two other women who've asked that they want to ordain with me. I don't know how serious the other two are, but this one is very serious. So it's like, yes, they get it, and they understand, and they're happy to help support and be a part of it. But it, like, it needs to ha- it, you can't do this in thin air. <laughs> you, know? you need a place, you know. And then in California, a place often has price tags connected to them, you know, unless we can get a house sit for a year or two or something. But just out of curiosity, you don't you don't see any possibility of saying, take there's a Sri Lankan group of nuns up in San Jose, Ajahn um, Tatia Loka, who was the chief nun at the Ajahn Brahm ordinations recently, is the head of that. You don't see a possibility of of joining a. a, a women's nunnery and women's monastic community and getting them on board with your agenda rather than trying to change the whole country, maybe change just two or three women. Is that possible? Well, my experience with the way this works is, is that people have really strong views and opinions about how this whole thing is supposed to unfold. Yeah. And, and you know, our community had been living together for 20, 30 years. And the last several years, we did see a congruence and people really having much more sense of, of congruence in terms of understanding what these issues were and what, in it, what was needed in order to negotiate change. Yeah. Then something happened, and in that something happening where the pressure was on a lot stronger, virtually, well, all of them, who stayed within that community were willing to go along with things that they knew before were actually detrimental. Okay? I, I'm not trying to change the whole country. That's not my aim. My aim is to carve out a small space where I can live according to values that are congruent and that are created in such a way that other people who want to join are welcome to. Okay? 
if I had a sense that some of these sisters would be open to what it is that I'm interested in doing, I would immediately go. But because of the knowledge that I have about who they are and their conditioning, I don't have that sense. And so that's why, for me, my priority was to start something ostensibly on my own and make it warm and welcoming, inviting for other people to join, and then to see what would happen from that. You know, we were having a conversation earlier about the fact that these cultural biases are have manifested as external structures, but they are internal belief systems. And until a person is willing to actually look at them as internal belief systems, it doesn't really matter if you change the external structure. It'll continue to be recreated. And I've seen, again, I've seen this. I know this in, my bar- in the marrow of my bones. I know this to be true. And so unless I sense that this is absolutely a priority for a person, the kind of work that's required to touch those internal belief systems is really unpleasant. It's very uncomfortable. And unless a person sees that there's absolutely no choice but to do that in order to move into a greater sense of freedom, they don't go there. And so it's true that they can be bhikkhunis. And it's true that they can be supporting nuns and nuns ordination. But within them are belief structures that actually support the same kind of power inequities as what we're actually trying to move out of. It's sad, but it's the truth. And so before I join up with a group of other people, I want to be sure that they are committed to the same values. Yes, that's kind of what I'm asking. Have you asked them or talked to them? I have talked with them. And I haven't talked with them directly. I've talked with them indirectly, but I've gotten enough information to know without a doubt that they be very careful. That this territory is not something that they have navigated, nor is it something that they're interested in navigating. Yeah. Yeah, it's time. It's four o'clock. We need to finish. Can we chant a little chant as a way of closing? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.